So about nine years ago, I was on staff at a large church in Missouri. And there was a guy in this church, his name was Larry. Larry was an alcoholic. And not a recovering alcoholic, he was a full-on alcoholic. There would be days when he would drink a lot, and there would be other days when he would be fine. And one day, I sat down with Larry, and I said, Larry, talk to me about your addiction. I said, talk to me about some of the, just the personal demons that, that you have. And he said this to me, he says, he said, Alex, he said, there are days when I wake up, and I think everything's going to be okay. There are other days when I wake up and I know that I'm not going to be able to not give in to the temptation of drink. He said to me, he said, I wake up every morning and I go to my Bible and I read my Bible. And he said, if I can just open my Bible and read my Bible, he said, I know it's going to be a day that it's going to be good and I'm not going to drink that day. He says, but there's other days when I wake up and I just don't want to read my Bible at all. And he goes, he says, I get up and he says, and I get on with my life and I start to realize today is going to be a day where I'm going to drink and it's not going to be a good day. There would be moments in Larry's life where we would see him come to church uh, for a month, two months, then everything would be great, he would be happy, everything would be wonderful, and there would be other moments when he would be missing for a month and two months, and you know he had slipped back into drinking. And today I feel a little like Larry, not that I'm an alcoholic, not that I have any addictions, but I have this fear when I wake up in the morning. It's this inner fear. Larry had a fear that he would drink that day and he would go back to the place, a dark place that he didn't want to go into. But I wake up and I have this fear that something bad is going to happen. I fear danger. Every morning my wife goes off to work. She works in Baltimore City. And I tell her that I love her. And all husbands tell your wives that you love her every day. She'll appreciate it. And you should do that anyway. But I tell her I love her, and then as she's leaving the door, I say this. I say, be safe. And she leaves, and I say a little prayer, honestly, every day. I'm like, God, protect her. Because I just have this feeling that something's going to happen. I mean, you just have to go like 95 on a morning, you know, it's like craziness, and something bad could happen. But I have this inner feeling, and now we're expecting our first child, and I have this feeling deep within that something bad is going to happen to my child. And so I pray for my child. I pray that protection over my child even though the child's not even born yet. Because there's this natural sense within every human being to have this sense of fear, sense of danger. It's natural to do this. Last week we quoted a scripture, and the scripture was found in First Peter, and the scripture was this. He said, to be aware, because there is this being called the devil who walks around like a, a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. And there is danger in this life both in the spiritual world and in the physical world. It's a natural sense to fear. But it's not just in humans. Animals have this natural sense as well. If you've ever been to Africa, I don't know if any of you have. One of my dreams in life is to go to Africa. I would love to go to Africa. But I like, I like watching lots of wildlife shows. And I see some of the shows on, on Discovery Channel or Natural Geographic. And, and when you see some of the wildlife shows, especially in Africa, you see all the animals on the prairie, all like at the waterhole, and they're drinking. Uh, and, you know, they're having a good time. And then the lions come out and everyone just scatters. 
Nobody's around. If you see a lion, you don't see other animals. You see them running away because they know when the lion is, there is danger. Because the animals sense that there's danger. Something, I grew up in England and it rained a lot. And we could always tell when it was going to rain because you'd look around and you'd see all the cows and there were lots of cows everywhere and they would be lying down. And we would always say, if the cows are lying down, it's going to rain. There was a sense that something bad was going to happen. Even though like rain isn't really bad, but you get my drift. See, there's this natural sense to fear danger. And fear of danger either restricts our lives so that we don't do anything or we give in to danger. We either bubble wrap our lives around so that there's no danger or we go out and we're a free fall and we fall into a dangerous moment. But let me tell you, if you bubble wrap your life from danger, there will come a point in your life when danger will strike. And if you're bubble wrapped, then you'll eventually get devoured. This is why we must be streetwise and we must be able to notice if danger is coming or not. And I want to talk this morning about a man who knew what danger was. He, he, he was the man who was aware of every kind of danger in his life. His name is Daniel. Daniel was a man who lived in uh, who who lived in an area where there was danger all around you see daniel grew up as a boy in the nation of israel in the region of judah and when he was a boy the Babylonian Empire, the, uh, the armies of the Babylonian Empire came and invaded his town, invaded his village, destroyed his family, destroyed his home, destroyed his village, and took him along with a lot of other people back to Babylon. Babylon is like modern-day Iraq. And so as a young boy, he sensed danger. He saw danger coming and knew what danger was. As he grew up in the Babylonian Empire, he grew up in a culture that constantly wanted to take him away from his faith and start living other faiths. He lived in a culture where everybody lived for themselves and everybody was selfish. And so you always had to watch your back because someone was was ready to stab you in the back. So this was a man who knew what danger was and he was very aware of the danger. And people who are aware of danger and when danger strikes are less likely to fall prey to that danger. People who understand the danger, they know how to protect themselves. About a year ago, I was watching a show on, I believe it was National Geographic. You can see I'm really interested, right? I mean, come on. But I like National Geographic. It's a good show. Uh, or good, good, uh, good uh, channel. But I was watching the show, and there was this guy on there, and he didn't have that many clothes on. I'm like, dude, put some more clothes on. Anyway, but he had this stick in his hand, and he lived in South Africa, and he would, like, walk amongst the lions, the wired lions. And I'm like, what are you doing? And this guy would walk amongst the lions, but the lions would never devour him. The lions would never attack him. He never got hurt by the lions. And what he would do when the lions got too close or the lions were about to, to come and attack him, he would start beating his stick and he would start shouting louder than the lions and the lions would actually be scared of him instead of him being scared of the lions. And he would be like as close as I am to, to you guys, you know, and he would be beating his stick and they would not hurt him and they would not, not come and attack him. Now, I wouldn't recommend it. And if you ever go to Africa, don't do it, you know. 
stay in the car. You know, I saw something on TV this week where there was some people on, on, on safari in Africa, and then the wild lion came, and they left the car door open. I don't know if any of you saw it, but the car, the lion actually opened the car door. I'm like, first thing, if you're on safari in Africa, in a car, lock the car doors, okay? See, you didn't think you were going to get a wildlife 101 this morning. But this guy knew the danger, and he knew how to overcome that danger. And Daniel was just the same as this guy. He knew how to overcome the danger that is in life. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen, and you can follow along on the screen. It says there, it says, Darius the Mede, who was the king of the kingdom at the time of the empire, decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So here is Daniel. Daniel, as a boy, was kidnapped or taken, captured from his homeland, taken to Babylon. And he was a smart intelligent boy. And the Babylonians saw this. And so they took him in and they started to train him in the ways of the Babylonians. And they invited him into a job as a civil servant. And then he became a high-ranking government official. And then he rose up and rose up. And eventually, we're at the point in Daniel's life where the king of the empire looks at Daniel and says, Daniel, he's my number two guy. Daniel has become a very successful boy, started in a very low place, and he has risen up through the ranks. But what we see, we see that Daniel had a secret to his success. See, Daniel's secret was that he put God first in his life. In everything that Daniel did, he made the choice to honor God. And in our lives, in everything that we do, we have a choice. However big or mundane the task is, do we honor God or do we not honor God? And Daniel was a man who decided to honor God in everything that we did. And we see in Daniel's life, there's three ingredients to his success. The first one is honesty. Daniel was an honest man. If you want to be anyone in life, go anywhere in life, you need to be honest. You can be not so honest for a period of time, and you can do well, but eventually that dishonesty is going to catch up with you. If you want to be honest, you, if you want to do well, you need to be honest. And you may think, well, Alex, we're in a church full of honest people, right? We're full of Christians. Christians are honest people. I tell you, Christians are some of the most dishonest people I know. And this is why. They don't intend to be dishonest. But you ask a Christian, how are things going? How's your relationship with God? 
how's your family life? And this one, they go, great, praise God. You know, Christian people have this funny lingo. And they're like, God is just blessing me. Oh, wonderful. Everything is good. But deep inside, you know that things are not going well. You probably haven't read your Bible for a while. You know that you're not really praying to God anymore. Maybe once you were praying like every day, and now it's like once a month. You know that your marriage may be on the rocks. You're struggling with your kids. But you don't want to tell that to other people. But if you want to be a success in this life, you need to be honest with people. And that Daniel was honest. The second thing that Daniel did, Daniel was hardworking. Hardworking. If you want to be a success, if you look at any successful person in this world throughout history, they have been hardworking. If you think that you're just going to buy a lottery ticket, win the lottery, and then that's it. The rest of your life is a dream. You're going to like lay in a pool, sipping pina coladas, and yeah, that's great. It isn't going to happen. You know why? Because you need to be hard working. Anyone who's made a success in this life is a hard working person. Honesty and hard work. But Daniel had a third ingredient that took him to another level. And this was that Daniel honored God in all that he did. He was a man who honored God. And when you are somebody who is successful, there are others who are going to try to pull you down. Because I don't know if you know, but there's people who are jealous out there. When people are successful, there are those who are jealous of you. And if you rise up maybe in your company or, you know, you start to do well, maybe you've got your own business, there are others who are going to try to bring you down. And this is what they're going to do. They're going to try to make you compromise your honesty, try to make you compromise your hard work, or try to make you compromise your faith. And this is what happened with Daniel. There were people who did not like that Daniel was being promoted. They wanted to be where Daniel was. So they tried to get Daniel to compromise his honesty. They tried to get Daniel to compromise his hard work, and he didn't. So they decided, okay, we're going to make Daniel compromise his faith. So what happened is these smart guys got together. They came up with a plan. They went to the king and they said, King, this is what you should do. You should put a law into effect that for the next 30 days, nobody can pray to any God, divine or human, except you. No one can bow down to anyone except you. And the king being the king, being a proud king, thinking, yeah, I like this plan. I like people like bowing down to me instead of anybody else. So the king wrote the law into, in, in, into existence. And this was a problem for Daniel. Because they tried to attack Daniel's faith, but Daniel was not biting. This is what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house, found him praying, asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about the law. And they told what Daniel had done, verse 13, it says, Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Jerusalem, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. You see, Daniel knew the, success, the secret to a successful life. And for Daniel, it was found in praying three times a day to God. He honored God by praying three times a day to God. 
See, Daniel understood that his protection from God was greater than man's decrees. Now, if I'm Daniel, or if Daniel was me, this is probably what would happen. I'd have been like, okay, I'm not going to listen to what they're going to do. I'm going to pray, but I'm not going to kneel, because if you kneel, people think you're praying. I'm not going to open my windows. I'm thinking, Daniel, what are you doing? Don't open your windows so everyone can hear you praying. Instead, just lie in your bed, pretend you're asleep, meditate, maybe just pray in your mind. That's what I'm thinking. Or maybe I'm thinking it's 30 days. Anyone who cannot pray for 30 days, I'm sure some of you, you probably haven't prayed for 30 days. I mean, it's easy not to pray for 30 days. Daniel, just, just don't pray for 30 days. God's not going to be angry with you, and it's going to stop you from breaking the law of the land. But you know, Daniel didn't do that. The first thing that Daniel did, he went home to pray. And this is why. Daniel knew how effective prayer was. He knew how effective prayer was. Did you know prayer is effective? The Bible tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is effective. The old King James says, availeth much. It means it's effective. The prayer of a righteous person is effective. Prayer is effective. And I'm just going to get serious this morning with you guys. I know at Generation Church, we do not have a clear understanding of how effective prayer is. We don't. And this is why I know. Because if we did, then our Monday night prayer group would like be the biggest group there is. Because we would understand, yeah, we need to get together and pray and, and get together with God's people and pray. But you know what? It's actually the smallest attended group out of all the groups that we have. Because we find it hard to pray. And I think it's because sometimes we don't understand how effective prayer is. Daniel understood the effectiveness of prayer. And so no matter what the law of the land was, he was going to pray. See, this is why. Daniel had a daily ritual that he would pray three times a day. And he understood if he compromised once, it would lead to a lifetime of compromise. My friend Larry realized if he drank once, it would lead to days and days of drinking. If you compromise once, it leads to a lifetime of compromise. And if you have a lifetime of compromise, you will drift further and further and further away from God. You know, when I was a kid, I love sports, love sports. I still love sports today. If I had a God apart from that God, it would be sports, you know, just because I love sports. I loved to play soccer when I was a kid, and I played a game called cricket. And don't ask me to explain cricket. We'll be here until summer if I, if I start to explain cricket. But I, I love cricket. I was decent at soccer, but I was really good at cricket. Now, if you wanted to do anything or be anyone or go far in the sports world in the UK in either soccer or cricket, you had to play Sundays. You had to play Saturday for, for cricket and Sunday or just Sundays for, for soccer. And I would come to my mom every Sunday, like every week. I'm like, Mom, Mom, can I play on Sunday? Can, can I join this team? i got to play Sunday. And my mom would be like, no, you can play Saturday, but you can't play Sunday. 
And I'd be like, Mom, but come on. You know, I could, like, be a famous footballer. You know, I could, like, make loads of money and, and pay for, you, like, your house. And you never have to work again. And she'd be like, no, you're not playing Sunday. I'd be like, Mom, why? And my mom would say this all the time. She would say, Alexander, because that's what they call me, Alexander. You just call me Alex, okay? <laughs> she'd say, Alexander, she says, we're Christians. She goes, and Christians go to church on Sundays. She said, we honor God on Sundays. She said, it is important that you go to church and you worship with the family of believers at that church. And, my, and I would go to my mom all the time, mom, mom, this just sucks. This is the worst. I didn't say sucks to my mom because I'm going to go slap. But, uh, but she would be like, no, you're not going. And then there was one time, I think I nagged her and nagged her. I caught her on a good week. And she says, okay, you can go play cricket. And the thing is, soccer, I would have never made it at soccer. I've got, like, bad knees. But cricket, I actually could have made it pretty high in the cricket world, but I had to play Sundays. The scouts were all out on Sundays. And one day I said, Mom, Mom, please. And my mom was like, okay. Like, you can go play Sunday. And I came back. It was the worst game I'd ever played. And I was, like, miserable. And my mom said to me, she goes, she goes I should have never let you go play on Sunday. She says, because... I compromise once, you're going to want to do it again and again and again. She goes, never will you be allowed to play on Sunday again. See, my mom taught me a valuable lesson. I didn't understand it at the time because I was just a kid, but now I understand it. My mom was teaching me. She says, we value church, the people of God. We value God and putting God first before sports. And you know what? And you're not going to like what I say, and I apologize, but, you know, I, I like to make you feel good about yourselves, but my job as a pastor is to help to bring you closer to Christ, not make you feel good. And I got something that I, I, I hate to say, but I fear for our kids. I fear for our kids. I fear for this generation of kids. You know why? Because we will not miss a sports practice. We won't miss a music lesson, but we're fine in missing church. And you think, well, Alex, it's only church we have it every week. Do you know what you're doing to your kids by showing that we won't miss a sports practice, but we will miss church, is we are telling our kids we value sports more than church. There is more value in sports than there is in gathering people together to worship God. And do you know when you get to heaven, do you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be worshiping God. We're preparing to worship God. And so as your kids, as you bring up your kids, you need to show your kids what you value and what you value they will follow. You know, across this nation today, clocks went forward, right? Most pastors hate it because there are millions and millions of people across this nation today who are going to stay in bed because they just can't live without that extra hour. They're putting, God, they're putting their time before God's time. And I don't mean to slam you and Bible bash you or anything like that this morning. But I will warn you. What you value, you put first. And this is Daniel. Daniel decided, you know what? I'm going to value God over value my career. I'm going to value God over valuing all the other things that are going on right now in my life. You know, we don't pray because we don't really value prayer. 
We don't gather together at times because we don't really value gathering together. But Daniel valued his faith. He valued prayer. And nothing would stop him from compromising his values. And then this is what happens. Daniel 16. No, Daniel 6 verse 16. It says, then the king, sorry, it says, so at last the king gave the orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. I mean, that just really helps what I just said, right? You know, I'm telling you, value God, value God. And then what happens to Daniel? He gets thrown into a den of lions. The thing about it is that there is trouble in this life. No matter how you live this life, there will be trouble that will come in your life. Whether you honor God or you don't honor God, there will be trouble that comes. But the one who is close to God, the one who honors God, the one who is faithful to God, understands that when you are faithful to God, God is faithful to you. When you put God first, God will protect you. And this is exactly what Daniel did. I'm sure Daniel was probably shaking at the knees when he walked into that lion's den of those hungry lions. But that's not what happened when he came out. See, that night the king was worried. He was tossing and turning because his trusted advisor, Daniel, was about to be devoured by lions. And so he got up early in the next morning. He went to the place where Daniel was, and he cried out, Daniel, are you there? And Daniel says, long live the king. And then in Daniel 6, verse 22, it says this. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. God came to Daniel's protection. See, the faithful know that God is their protector. God has the ability to shut the mouths of lions. Sometimes we don't believe it, but God has the ability to shut the mouths of lions. And for those of you who think, well, maybe the lions weren't hungry. Immediately after Daniel came out, the guys who tricked the king, the king threw them into the den of lions, and the lions devoured them immediately. See, sometimes God will allow you to come to face to face with a hungry lion so that you know when you are faithful, there's nothing you should fear. See, what I love about this story is when we think about Daniel, we think about Daniel on the lion's den. For those of you who grew up in Sunday school, you think Daniel like, oh, the lion's den, right? We teach our kids Daniel and the lion's den, and we think this is Daniel's defining moment. But this was not Daniel's defining moment. In fact, this was just a public display of a moment that happened years and years before in Daniel's life. It's found in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, it says this, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. See, Daniel as a boy was taken in to the king's palace and he was trained in the ways of the Babylonians and, uh, so that he would one day become an official in the king's government. And one of the ways that they were trained was to eat the same foods that the king ate. But the problem was a lot of these foods defiled Daniel's faith. Daniel was a Jewish man and there was foods in the Jewish faith that you could not eat. They were seen as unclean foods. And so Daniel says, I'm not going to eat these foods. Now, Daniel wouldn't have gone to hell for eating the foods. 
God probably wouldn't have even been mad with Daniel for eating those foods. But Daniel decided he was going to honor God in the small little things of life. See, what happens is in the small things that your life can get off track or on track. See, alcoholics don't start by sitting on a park bench with like a brown bag full of like the worst whiskey you can imagine. That's not how they start. Do you know what they start? They start with a few happy hours with their friends. And it's in the small things of life that we make those decisions. And Daniel decided in this small thing in life, God's really not going to be unhappy with me if I eat the king's foods. But I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to honor God in everything that I do. You know, if you were to take a ship and travel from the east coast of the United States to Europe, you would set a course. And if you were half a degree off, you would end up being thousands of miles away. And that's what happens in the small things of life. See, when you honor God in the small things, God shows up in the big things. See, defining moments aren't usually found in the public setting. They're not usually those profound moments when like, God, speak to me. They're not found in those moments where we see God doing amazing things. Defining moments are often in the private setting where nobody else is around. It's just you and God. It's when we make the choice to put God first and be faithful to him. Defining moments are those moments where the clocks go forward. And you're lying in bed and you're like, oh, God, why is the sun up already? And you decide, you know what, I'm still going to get up and worship God. They're defining moments. Defining moments are those moments where instead of after work going to happy hour with all your friends, you decide to go home to your wife and kids because you know it's probably going to end up in a night of drunkenness. Defining moments, you're in those moments where you decide, you know what, I'm going to give my tithe on to the Lord instead of maybe uh, doing that upgraded hotel that we want on vacation so I can get a five-star instead of a four-star. Defining moments are those moments where, where a, a parent looks at their boy and says, you're not going to go and play soccer or cricket on a Sunday because we're going to honor God and we're going to show you that we value the house of God more than we value those other things, even though the young boy doesn't understand it. Because what happens is that young boy grows up and realizes that God is first in their life and God uses that young boy and, rises and, and elevates that young boy to a place where where now that young boy can tell you that it is time to honor God. Honor God. It's those defining small moments when you choose to be honest instead of dishonest. It's those defining small moments when you choose to honor God, where instead of getting up in the morning and checking Facebook or or putting the Today Show on, decided, you know what, I'm just going to read a chapter out of my Bible this morning. Defining moments for alcoholics are the moment that you wake up like Larry and decide to read your Bible instead of try to do it alone. If you are faithful in the small, God will show up in the big. Daniel was a man who was unwilling to compromise his faith 
So he decided to compromise his career. And you know what happened? God elevated him. He became one of the highest ranking officials in the Babylonian Empire. That turned into like this Persian merger. And he was a big deal. Why? Because he honored God in the small. Let's bow our heads.